0: This is the What Now podcast.
1: I think it's just like focusing on others, like using that time to restore your own soul. But that happens as you focus on making it about blessing the lives of others and turning outward. Because when we're constantly looking for what, oh, me, 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 what can I get out of this? I think that's oftentimes when we get a little bit sideways about the things that are going on in the church.
0: This is the What Now podcast, where we discuss cultural topics related to The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in an effort to encourage, educate, and inspire. Join me as I speak with Jordy Collins, where he shares how chasing his dream as a professional surfer has helped him realize the value of his faith and the lasting joy found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jordy also shares insights for young adults on how to stay separate from the world and still fit in, and how to receive the ultimate confidence boost.
1: Today I'm here with Jordi Collins. Welcome. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: I'm glad to have you on the podcast today. I know you're busy and you're a young adult and you're out living your life. And so you're taking time for this. It means a lot. Thank you.
1: Yeah, of course. It was good. I just got back from Oregon and I'm off to Utah tomorrow. So it's good that we were able to uh, fit it in.
0: Yeah. Squeeze it in. Yeah. (laughs) So before we get started, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself so listeners can get to know you better?
1: Definitely. Yeah. So I'm Jordy Collins. Right now I'm 23 years old. I'll be turning 24 this next month, which is pretty crazy to be in that age bracket now. I grew up in Northern San Diego County in Carlsbad, California. So just lived life on the beach. That was kind of my upbringing there. My parents would take us to the the ocean to wear us out every day after school, and especially during the summers. So just grew up in a little beach town and learned to love surfing. My dad was a big surfer, and so that was kind of everything that I focused on as a kid was just being like my dad and being a surfer, and I thought it was the coolest thing ever. And so, yeah, that grew into from like a hobby to a passion, and then eventually turned into a good little career of mine. And so that's kind of my background is just I was a professional surfer or am a professional surfer. I don't know anymore. It's, it's kind of the blurred line of uh, professional and amateur surfing is, is it's kind of hard to tell these days. But uh, always a surfer. I always will be a surfer. And uh, yeah, of course, a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So those were kind of my two my two biggest passions in life. And yeah, so that's where I'm at right now.
0: Well, that's a good balance. You've got to have the outdoor passion and to do something you love and make a living doing it is the dream, right?
1: For sure. Yeah, it definitely was. When I found out that that I could actually make money at this thing, I was that was it. I was hooked. From there on out, it was over.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, how did you become a pro surfer? How do you just be a pro
1: surfer? Yeah, I mean, the road, it's kind of like I said, it is like a little bit of a blurred lines. A lot of other sports, you have like You're an amateur. And then as soon as you accept your first dollar, you're a professional and you can't, there's like, you can't really go back and compete in amateur events. You've like committed yourself to be a professional, but in surfing, it's really not like that. Like from a very young age, I was competing in surfing all along the coast of California. I started doing competitions when I was probably eight, nine years old. And from there on out, you just kind of work your way up these competitions. And so you do sort of these local events here in San Diego and you start doing well in those and then, okay, now it's time to move into like the NSSA series is one that goes up and down the California coast. And it's just just an amateur event, but that's kind of like the breeding ground for these young professional surfers that are up and coming. They learn how to compete. They learn the ropes of what it's like to surf in a heat and to uh, learn the ins and outs of that. And then from there you have the opportunity to, because that's like. You can anyone can sign up for those events for the NSSAs and things. But then from there, if you're doing well in those events, you'll get invited to what's called like the Prime Series put on by the, the organization USA Surfing. And so those are invite only. And once you get invited to those, you're kind of like still an amateur series, but it's a little more prestigious. And then you're starting to compete. And once you compete well in those, you make your name for yourself. You get invited to maybe the US Surf Team And from there, you just like can start doing these qualifying series or junior pro level series events. And so once you're kind of like in that junior pro series, you have the opportunity to make money, but you're not necessarily like a a defined pro yet. You're still kind of competing in some of the amateur events, competing in some of these junior pro series. And so it's kind of funny. Like there's a lot of people that could probably say they've made a, a dollar or two from surfing, just from doing these junior pro series events, but I mean to be like a well established professional surfer that then goes from competing in these junior pro events to doing the qualifying series of what they call it it's a qualifying series for the the world tour surfing and then once you're on that qualifying series that's more like the minor leagues of surfing I would say, and so that's where I spent a lot of my career a couple years of my career was surfing in these qualifying series events trying to get in the top 10 so that you can get a spot on the, uh, the world championship tour the next year. And so it kind of is just this like stair step process of just working your way up these events and uh, making a name for yourself. And then of course, receiving sponsorships, that's a big way you make money in surfing. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of, is a really tricky thing. As I was never very good at the ins and outs and intricacies of like what goes into making money as a surfer. I left that up to my parents. They were pretty good at that and uh, helping me guide me in that path. So, But that's kind of the process of how you become a pro surfer. You just do these events and work your way up.
0: That's interesting because a lot of our listeners probably aren't from California or understand the culture of surfing. So it's good you explain that because the World Surf League, that's the big premier event that's here right like outside my front door, practically at Trestles. Yeah, yeah. That's an incredible opportunity that you had to be a pro surfer and the experience to be in the heats and with all these professionals. And you probably learned a lot doing that.
1: Definitely. It was certainly a good learning experience. It was one I started when I was, uh, I started doing the junior pro series when I was probably 15 and then started doing the uh, qualifying series for the world championship tour. I started that when I was probably like 17. And so it was something that I did like, I probably could have waited a couple of years. <laughs> I probably could have waited till I was like 18 or 19 to start doing these events because I definitely got exposed to everything you would see as a pro surfer from a very young age. You know, you're traveling at 17 years old, just kind of across the globe. You're going to all these events all over the world. And that was a lot for me as a 17 year old. <laughs> but it was a super good experience, super good life experience. And, and I wouldn't trade it for anything.
0: So you were kind of at the top of your game when you decided to serve a mission. How did you decide to leave Pro Surfing and serve a mission?
1: Yeah, that was really hard. That was something that, I mean, that was years of me just praying, thinking about it. I mean, if you would have asked me when I was like 14, 15, 16, 17, if I was going on a mission and people did ask me that all the time, what are your plans? What are you doing? Are you going to go on a mission and I would just straight up say no. <laughs> it wasn't even, wasn't even close to on my radar. It wasn't even something that I ever ever thought about doing. It was just because surfing. I couldn't leave surfing for two years. That was way too much to ask. I couldn't leave the ocean. I couldn't, you know, it was just too much. And so I was always that kid that was never about it. But it was funny. Like as I started traveling and getting really seriously into my sport, and developed this career for myself. It was just hard because I was living this dream life, as so many people would call it, where, okay, I'm in France today, and I'm in Spain tomorrow, and Portugal the next day, and traveling all over Europe, and Asia, and all over, all over the world I'm traveling, and I'm doing these competitions and doing what I love. But my spirituality was totally lacking. I would just travel with a bunch of other pro surfers, and none of them were members of the church. They held kind of professional surfer standards, which are not <laughs> not very equal to the standards that we hold near and dear to us in the Church of Jesus Christ of latter day saints, and so because of being exposed to all of that, I just saw this like this emptiness in all of this in all of the competitions and all of the the traveling. I certainly like felt that it wasn't as fulfilling as I thought it would be. And getting exposed to all of those like these parties and everything else that was going on as a pro surfer, it just left me like feeling kind of sick and feeling a little bit ill of just like, oh, this is like the scene. This is what everyone else is about. And I can either be about this or I can really choose to dig into my faith here and make it a real thing. And I remember when I felt that I that my spirituality was lacking, my relationship with my Father in Heaven was lacking a little bit because... You know, I wasn't going to church when I was traveling, when I was on the road. I would try my best. I would go see little branches and things when I could. But oftentimes there was competitions on Sundays and it was just hard to get there. And so when I felt that spirituality lacking, that difference in my life of, okay, waking up in the morning and just feeling satisfied, feeling happy with who I am, that difference was enough to really scare me. (laughs) It really shook me of being like, and it made it real. It made the gospel real for me because I all of a sudden realized, okay, this is this is how I feel when I'm doing it my way, when I'm doing what the world is telling me to do. And I felt what it feels like to be going to church every Sunday. I felt what it feels like to say family prayers, you know, and like the difference, the stark contrast that I felt between those lives was enough for me to get a little more intrinsical think about my life of where I was at and think about what was really most important to me. And so when I felt that difference, it was like enough of a difference to scare me to be like, oh, this gospel is real. It's true. It makes a difference in my life. And because I know that, I have to go share that. I have to go share this story. I have to go share the message of Jesus Christ because it's true. It works. I've lived it and I haven't lived it. And when you know the difference between those two, you just need to share that. It was just it felt very natural to me. So serving a mission all of a sudden became like, oh duh! Like I would be stupid not to not to go and share this this experience that I have, this blessing that I've had to know about the church and the gospel and Jesus Christ and and so that was kind of my path was okay. It, it kind of like had to go a certain way, and then once I felt it going that way, I noticed the difference and I, and I took a U turn and and got back to my roots of being a. A believer, being a, a disciple and, and sharing that with others. So that was kind of my journey into to serving a mission.
0: Yeah, that's interesting because when you have known what it feels like to feel the spirit and that peace and joy, the real joy that it brings, and then when you're without it, you feel that void, right? I mean, you can't feel the same kind of peace.
1: Yeah, exactly. It was, it was completely undeniable. It was something that I couldn't. And I remember that was like a prayer that I had. Like, I was in Australia for this event and I had just had a a big loss and I was just not feeling right in my life. I wasn't feeling like I was in the right spot, doing the right things. And I just remember praying and I was like, Heavenly Father, whatever you need me to do, let me know. If it's a mission, I'll go do that. I just want to feel like I'm in the right place and doing the right thing. And I remember like when I said that prayer, I just felt the spirit so strongly. I felt his love. I felt God's love for me so strongly. And again, I was like, okay, that's it. That's the feeling. That's what I want to chase. Like (laughs) if I could have that every day, that's what I need. And I think a mission is going to get me there. And so, yeah, that peace, that's what I was searching for. Little, I didn't know it all the time, right? We don't always like think about that super consciously, but once you feel it, you know it and you follow that. Yeah,
0: I mean, in a recent fireside you did in California, you were talking about the difference between fleeting joy and lasting joy. Can you give us some examples of what fleeting joy looks like in your life as opposed to lasting joy? And you're touching on that a little bit right now.
1: Totally, totally. This is like a really big basis for what a lot of my like testimony is, like, of just the difference that the gospel of Jesus Christ makes in our life because. Like as a kid, that was my whole focus. That was my dream was to become this professional surfer, to do these events, to travel the world, to to get sponsorships. And that was what I was doing. Right. And so if like you think about it, like I was accomplished by the world standards. I was doing what I had set out to do. But I remember like after even winning a competition, like I remember in twenty seventeen, that was the year that I had won the North American title on the qualifying series. So I had won this this whole year long thing, won kind of the best, most consistent surfer in, in North America. And in an interview, I was talking to a reporter and he was saying, oh, like, Jordy, how are you feeling? Really big win for you this year. What's your plan? How are you feeling? Like, what are the emotions right now? And I was like, honestly, <laughs> I feel pretty tired. <laughs> I feel... <laughs> pretty tired right now. I had a long year. I've been gone away from home and I'm just super tired and I'm ready to get back home. I'm ready to see my family. I'm ready to to hunker down and just kind of chill out for a bit. That's how I felt after a ton of events, after a ton of big wins. It was just like, okay, sure. When I was on the beach, when I was getting, you know, chaired up in surfing after you win a big event, there's like a kind of a standard or a ritual where if you win, two of your friends will come and chair you up the beach. They'll put you on your shoulders and your feet can't touch the sand until you hit the stage. So they chair you up to the stage and then you accept your trophy and your check and you take big photos and it's this big celebration. And a lot of times there's champagne that's popping off and flying. And sure, at that time, like when I was getting chaired up and all those things, that felt great. That was super fun. Loved it. It was fun to feel feel those big wins. But like give it a day or two, Give it that you know, that flight home when I'm thinking about my life and all of these things, that joy or that happiness that you think you're feeling, it starts to go away, right? It's not something that, that sticks around. It's not something because there was always another heat to be surfed. There was always another wind that I was chasing, or another swell that I was chasing, right? So it was always like an itch that could never be completely scratched. Like I was always chasing the, these winds, this feeling. But it just wouldn't stay. And so when I found that as I threw myself at the gospel of Jesus Christ, that joy was something that wasn't fleeting, but was something that would stay, that was the feeling that I was chasing all along. I was trying to fill it with surfing. I was trying to find it with surfing, but you just can't fill it. You just can't find it anywhere else but with Jesus Christ. He is the source of all light, all happiness, all joy. And so that's kind of that difference that I felt was like, Okay, surfing is great. It's super fun. You can have super fun moments, but it's not going to leave you feeling joyful all the time. You're always going to need to be chasing another contest or this or that or the other. And so that's kind of the difference that I saw in my own life was with, with fleeting joy and lasting joy with the gospel of Jesus Christ.
0: Right, cuz fleeting joy is temporary, right? Like you were saying, you're always have another heat. You're always chasing another wave. You're always going to have someone breathing down your throat to win that competition. It's not lasting. Yeah. Yeah. And then the living, the gospel of Jesus Christ is lasting joy. When we're consistent in that, we can have that continual peace and joy that doesn't come from any other source, really.
1: Exactly. It's so true.
0: So in your fireside, you also referenced a corruptible crown. What did you mean by that? What is your corruptible crown?
1: Totally. I love this. So this is actually, this comes from Paul. This is in Corinthians. He's talking to the people of Corinth. And Paul is using this example of running a race, in a foot race. And it's actually in 1 Corinthians 9. And he's just saying, like, at the time, obviously, like, athletics was super big for this people. It was kind of everything to be a really, really powerful athlete, to be this manly man and to, to win this prize. And he talks about this is in 1 Corinthians 9. 24 and 25. So he's talking to athletes who are running in a foot race, or he's using them as an example. And he just says, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. So he's saying, Okay, if you run in a race, only one receives the prize. So you better go run that race and run it that you can obtain that prize. And he says, Every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. So everyone that strives to master this sport, this foot race, whatever it is, they're temperate in all things. They're super hardworking, they're diligent in all these things. But this is where the money is. This is what what I love about this concept. He says, now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. And what he means by that corruptible crown is, is after they would win this foot race, they would get like that. You can think of it as like that gold leafy crown that athletes would get at this time. If they won that race, they would get that crown. But he's saying that crown is corruptible. That crown is going to, same concept, this fleeting joy. That crown, if it was exposed to high heat, that crown would melt. It would be gone. But he's saying we, as disciples, we race or run in the race for the incorruptible crown. Or he's using you know that to say eternal life. And nothing, no one can take that away from you. No one can corrupt that crown that is the thing that lasts. So he's like, look, it's great that you have this these athletics and you're running for this great prize, but guess what? Those things are going to go away. But this focus, this mastery of discipleship, of following Jesus Christ, this is an incorruptible crown. This is one that no one can take away from you. This is one that everyone has the opportunity to receive, and so chase it. Chase that crown. Run in that race. That's the most important race we could be running, right? So That was a scripture that I really loved on my mission. I found that on my mission and that was just so touching to me because I felt like that was my life. All my life, I was chasing this corruptible crown of fame and surfing and whatever else, Instagram followers, like all these things are corruptible. But if you chase the gospel of Jesus Christ, that's something that's long lasting. That's never going to go away. So I love that scripture.
0: I love that. I love that concept. The corruptible crown versus you know, the corruptible crown can decompose, it can be broken, it can be stolen, you know, I mean, but no one can steal your testimony. No one can take that from you. No one can take the knowledge that you have, and the testimony that you've built that upon. You know, I mean, that is the non corruptible crown. I love that. Um, So in the social, you were talking a little bit about, you know, you wanted followers, you wanted fame, you wanted notoriety, which is what we all want at some level, right? That's human nature. In your generation, especially in a social media generation that lives so much through comparison, how can young adults your age be separate and still fit in? Because you have to be kind of separate if you're really living the gospel of Jesus Christ because the world really isn't going in that direction. So how can you be separate and still fit in? Because we all want to fit in. I mean, that's what drives social media.
1: Yeah. That's a hard thing. That's so tricky because, I mean, for me especially too, like I hated and still kind of do, to be honest, I really disliked social media. It was not fun for me because a lot of a lot of it too was like I had pressure from sponsors. They would say, you know, oh, you need this X amount of followers to make X amount of money. You need this, that, and the other to be marketable for us. And so a lot of it was driven by like, Okay, someone telling me how I should be posting on social media, the things I should be posting, the content that I was supposed to be creating, and that was like, it felt a little wrong to me. I was like, okay, where's my agency? Where's my say in all of this? Right? Like, I want to put out what I want to put out. As far it probably as
0: doesn't feel authentic.
1: Oh, totally. That's what I didn't like about it was it it didn't feel real to me. And I think that's where a lot of people get lost in social media is they get chasing this desire to fit in. This desi- they saw a really cool post about. X, Y, and Z, and so they go and try to recreate it, but it's not necessarily true to what they're doing, true to what they're living and what they believe in, and and so, as far as it goes to like how can we all as young adults fit in in this world of social media and everyone else, the truth of the matter is we're not going to fit in if we are true to what we believe. We're going to stick out like a sore thumb, and that's okay. That's part of it. That's what we should be chasing. It's funny because at first it seems like a really hard thing, but that sticking out and that being separate from the world, it's going to get you a lot of opportunities. I know it did for me always in my career in surfing. Sure, it was hard to be like the kid that was like never drinking in certain instances, like not always going out with everyone. It was hard to say no to those things sometimes, but because of those that saying no, that staying separate from those things, I got opportunities to be an affiliate with the U.S. surf team to go and represent them at really big conferences in Japan and in New Orleans. We had a really big conference when surfing was just admitted into the Olympics. And it was always like, I talked with the USA surfing CEO about this. And I was like, why me? Like, I'm not your best guy on the team, on the U.S. surf team. He's like, oh, why you? Like, you're always dependable. I know that if we go somewhere, you're not going to be off running around drinking, going to the bar, staying out late, like you're going to be dependable. You're going to be that person that's different than the rest. And you're going to show up on time and and get things done. And so that staying separate, just love it. Just chase it. To be fitting in right now is a hard thing. (laughs) It's what the world wants you to do, but it's not going to bring you that joy. And so you just have to be okay with being a little different, I think.
0: Well, yeah. Also, like you were just saying, it brings you opportunities for leadership. You know, when people see that you're different and you're reliable, you know, and you're trustworthy, they can depend on you, then it gives you kind of better opportunities in some ways.
1: Totally. And you look at the people who are trying to ask you to fit in. It's funny. It's there's like that example of like, if you put crabs in a bucket and you leave the top off, if any one of the crabs that's trying to escape gets close to the top, all the other crabs that are down below at the bottom of the bucket, they'll reach up to the crab at the top that's almost escaping and they'll pull it down, right? And so that's kind of how it is in this world of like fitting in. Like sometimes you're like getting separate, you're getting to the top or you're being different than everyone else. And these crabs at the bottom are just gonna try to pull you down by like, oh no, be with us. Look at us, we're down here. We're all here at the bottom. Come down here, it's awesome down here. But really they're just trying to pull you down to the bottom. And so it's just being aware of these things. It's being aware of like, no, it's okay to be a little bit different. That's what we should be okay with. We shouldn't, I don't know, it's kind of hard to say because everyone goes through it and it's everyone's journey to like find where their motivation lies, where their acceptance lies. But I think once you can really like narrow it down to, okay, I'm a child of God and my relationship with my father in heaven is the most important thing in my life. And that's where I get my, notoriety, that's where I get my satisfaction. When you can make that the focus, you'll be just fine with being separate.
0: And there's confidence with that too. Like as you see the fruits of that, then it builds on, builds on that, gives you a little bit more confidence to be separate, you know? And then you find people who are also separate, you know, you kind of find your people that are strong and cool and capable. I mean, you're totally cool, good looking, nice guy you know, and you can be separate, and there are other people like you that want to be separate too. And you just kind of sometimes you have to move away from your friend group or you have to move away from that Instagram feed that isn't feeding your spirit, you know, and have the confidence to move away from that. You know, I wonder if your mission helped you with that. Did your mission help you have more confidence with being separate?
1: Totally. Yeah, it totally did. Like, I don't know, on my mission, I just saw that anyone that was willing to give the gospel a try, they were blessed for it. They received so many blessings. They received that confidence. I remember meeting people, like some of my best friends to this day are people that I taught and worked with. I remember just like meeting them and at the start of meeting them, they could be the most shy, like unconfident, like unsure about themselves, not sure where they're going in life people. I met all sorts of these people, but after just like, literally just months of just practicing what we believe in, just living the gospel of Jesus Christ, I saw their confidence change dramatically. They knew who they were. They knew where they were going. I mean, I just remember this one lesson teaching one of my really good friends, and and she was just like, oh, I see the light at the end of the tunnel. I know where I'm headed. That's the same thing we need to be searching for. That's the same thing we need to be saying every day. It's like, okay, I know where my focus is and that's where my confidence is. And when you can do that, you're going to be so much more happy. You're going to be so much more successful because that's going to always be there for you. Your father in heaven is always going to, you know, he's always going to bless you. He's always going to support you. Not saying it's going to be easy. That's not the point. It's not always going to be easy. These people's lives, their circumstances didn't always necessarily change, but their confidence in who they were and who was in their corner That's what helped them through the things that they were going through. So same in my life.
0: That's right on. I mean, if you know who you are and you have that confidence that you've got Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ and they've got your back, that gives you so much confidence. And then the Spirit kind of testifies that to us too. You know, it gives us that confidence and security to move forward in faith and do what we need to do for the Lord and for ourselves.
1: Yeah.
0: it's good. So what would you say to young adults your age that struggle with certain aspects of the church culture and they aren't sure where they fit in the church? We're seeing a lot of kids your age leaving the church.
1: Yeah, it's a hard one as well. And I don't know, it's kind of like, maybe I'm a little bipartial to this one or just because I never felt that way in my life. I'll be upfront and honest that I never felt that way of like getting offended at something someone said or or just being worried about fitting into this church culture. It was never like a problem for me. And I've had conversations with, with good friends of mine, and you know they obviously talk about, oh, the culture is different here in Utah, where they live, or whatever else. We have different church cultures, uh, microcultures, wherever you live. it's It's always different. But I was always focused on my relationship with Jesus Christ, on my relationship with my Father in Heaven, and I didn't let anything get in the way of that. So sure, I had times where like bishops said something where I could have been like, oh, that's <laughs> that's kind of messed up or what's that all about? Or I could have taken a stance of being like a little bit of a victim in that, in that sense. But we got to give each other some grace. No one is perfect. No one is perfect. We're all trying to do our best to live the gospel of Jesus Christ. But guess what? We are all failing. <laughs> None of us is perfect at that thing. Even your bishop, even your stake president, okay, even the general body of the church, it's never going to be a perfect organization. But you can still go to church and you can still be like, okay, when I sit in sacrament and I listen to the hymns and partake of the sacrament, like it feels good. Like that can be enough for you. That's what keeps me going. When I go to church and I just like, I'm like, okay, I made it here again. It doesn't matter what else is going on in my life. It doesn't matter what I'm messing up with. I made it here and I feel good just sitting here. It has to be focused on on your relationship, God. You can't be thinking about who said what, what you're offended about, what you're focusing on. It has to be you and God, right? It doesn't matter who's by you in the pew, who's not by you. Just sit there and use that time to be like, okay, this feels pretty good. This feels, I feel A little bit of a warmth. And even if it's the tiniest, like, positive thing, take that and run with it. Don't focus on the negatives. I don't know. It's just, I feel like it can be a hard thing. But I think the only reason, like, sometimes we get so caught up in in worrying about church culture is because we're so focused on ourselves and what we get out of things. If I'm going to church to be like, oh, what am I going to get out of this? this is me, 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 that's probably not like the best way to look at things. But when I go to church and I'm like, okay, who can I bless today? Who can I say hi to? Who can I smile to? Who can I ask about their week and and inquire about how I can help them? When I'm focusing on others, I think I'm a lot less prone to get offended by what may or may not be going on in the culture, what may or may, may not be getting said, this, that, and the other. So I think it's just like focusing on others. Like using that time to restore your own soul but that happens as you focus on making it about blessing the lives of others and turning outward because when we're constantly looking for what oh me 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 what can i get out of this i think that's oftentimes when we get a little bit sideways about the things that are going on in the church
0: that's a really good point that you're making i mean that's why we're commanded to love god and love your neighbor right i mean everyone's our neighbor Everyone, everyone we interact with, and we all have different unique skills and, you know, opportunities to serve. And those are given to us because the Lord knows what our skill set is. He knows Jordan is going to walk right over there and make that guy's day by saying hi and acting like he really does care. And you do, you know, I mean, he knows our skill set. And so he's going to give us these little pings and prompts through the spirit of how we need to act and what we need to do. And we're always happier when we're helping other people. Always. I mean, I'm always way happier when I'm helping and serving other people. In fact, when I'm not happy, I make a point of going out and doing something nice for someone because it's just a blessing for them and it's a blessing for us. That's why we're commanded to serve, right? Because the Lord knows it'll bring us the joy that we're looking for. But thank you so much for your time today. I loved everything you had to say. I love your mature perspective. And for someone your age, you have a very mature perspective. And that you were able to serve a mission, even if it was in Missouri.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, the farthest place from any ocean.
0: (laughs) Maybe that was a blessing. The Lord's like, I'm not going to torture this kid in Fiji. I'm just going to send him to Missouri.
1: (laughs) I always say he'll never put us in a place to be tempted.
0: Yes. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Jordi. I appreciate it.
1: Thank you so much. I really appreciate it too. For anyone out there listening, just keep going. Just keep fighting. Keep believing. It's all good stuff. Just feel the good in it. Focus on the positives. And God's there for you. He loves you. So I'm super grateful for this opportunity. Thanks, Alice.
0: Thank you. Thank you for listening to the What Now podcast. I invite you to share this episode with family, friends, and anyone you think it might help. Just click on that share button wherever you listen to podcasts. I also invite you to follow the What Now podcast on Instagram at podcast what now for inspirational messages and highlights from our past and present podcasts. Please leave us a positive rating wherever you listen to podcasts. It really helps it to grow. We never say goodbye. We say what now. This has been a What Now podcast production.